HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Well, we're up on the road in Boston. Um, for many years, I've heard about the NIRAX, the New England Cast Festival, and I finally get to come up here. Um, the one reason I'm really excited about this is that this month we're going to celebrate Cascale. And why Cascale? We're going to learn more about it, but also... It's the ultimate on-premise drink, and it's the kind of thing that maybe in your pandemic or sitting in the living room, uh, you get a little tired of cans. It's not in cans. It's, it's in person, and, and many of you know what a good cast scale can be. We've had Duchess Ales on a few years ago, but we haven't really had a cast show in a while just because um, there's been no cask and no on-premise. So now we're back, and, and Nerex is back, and it's really important. I was here um, earlier for the industry session and just hearing the passion and, and the, the memories of so many people that, that have come to this festival over the year were with some of the organizers. So that's the longest intro I've ever done, and hopefully it does justice to, to these gentlemen. So we're going to go around the room. They're going to uh, say their name and what their role is at the NIRAX. Hi, I'm Mark Bowers, and my position is president of CASC, which is the nonprofit organization that presents NIRAX every year. Hi, I'm Jan Williams. I coordinate the main beers for the festival and I run the door here at NIREX. Hi, I'm Gary Chaporian. I'm the festival organizer for NIREX and I do other various and sundry things that other people aren't doing, so whatever needs to be done. Oh, it's amazing that this is a machine that's been running for over 20 years and um, it seems to be a huge value to the, the, the drinking and beer community. So, Mark, you just Give us the intro, man. Nerex, what is it? And, um, you know, why are you guys involved with it? Just just the backstory. Like, when, when did it start? When did you get involved? Sure. Uh, it started in 1997 in a uh, restaurant, pub near, um, near here in the Northeast. And I wasn't involved at that point. I had heard about it, but wasn't able to make it. Uh, George Gendron, our founder started it with a handful of casks 
he was a um, Anglophile, loved going over to England for cask beer and decided Americans needed to try it too. He started at maybe two, three years after that, I joined, uh, started drinking at the festival and decided I'm gonna volunteer because I just fit right into my alley. I thought people needed more beer. And then I've been with the, the group ever, ever since, since about 2000. Well, you know, I, it's my first time here. It, it really, I don't want to say reverence, but there's a special special feeling here, a lot of history and, and heritage. Jan, you want to tell me about how, when you first started coming to this and some of your anecdotes? Well, well, yeah, actually, I was living in the UK, in, in London, and uh, <clears throat> went to a beer festival in London, uh, the Great British Beer Festival, which is kind of the granddaddy of all beer festivals in our world, and uh, talking to the guy running the uh, the American bar, and I said, man, how come we can't get cask in, in the United States? And this was Jonathan Tuttle, one of the founders of Nerex. And he says, you idiot, we have a festival in Boston. <laughs> so that's how I ended up here. And then Gary. Uh, so I, I started a little bit later than these guys. Um, I actually started, attended the second one. I was at a restaurant down the street from where the hall is, and uh, I saw a little eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper on the wall said, hey, Cask Ale Festival. I said, well, ale, I know what that is, so it's beer, so I'll go. It sounds cool, you know? So I went to it and kind of just seemed like a really fun thing. And uh, a few years later, I think I attended for a couple of years, and then I started volunteering, and then after a few years after that, they asked me to join the group, so, and then just kind of since then, I don't know, I was probably, I actually, people ask me when I joined and I say, I don't remember. It's the, the years are fuzzy and I can't remember when it was. <laughs> it's amazing when something's been going on for so long, you can't even remember yeah. when you first went. So let's, let's talk about the mechanics of this, because I mean, I remember back in the late aughts, you know, places like Jimmy's number 43 and other places in the East Village in New York City, people were putting together mini cast fests and there were funny things like you had to, you had to buy a, a card and you you could pay per per drink or something like that. Um, it, it was definitely foreign. I think it was like someone tried to take an English cast vessel and put it in New York. Um, they never quite really worked in, in New York. People started, the terminology was like real ale festivals. But I know you, you guys say cast condition. So who wants to tell me what the difference is between these English cash condition beers and other things like just filling up a Franconia style keg? Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. So first of all, the real ale from Camera is a group in the UK that decided to preserve uh, real ale, which they ended up calling, they thought all of the non-cast conditioned beer, the draft beer that's pushed with CO2 was dead. It wasn't, it was artificial. It just was bland. It wasn't quite right. So they came up with the moniker Real Ale. But Real Ale is essentially cask conditioned ale. So that's where we decided to stick with the term cask conditioned ale support campaign, NERAC's New England Real Ale. We kept the Real Ale, but we also kept the cask conditioned because any beer can be cask conditioned. It can be a lager. It doesn't have to just be an ale. So we knew craft beer was evolving in the U.S. and people were doing all sorts of crazy things with beer. And whereas the U.K. was kind of stuck in the beer that was around 1973 when camera started. 
they kind of froze what they called real ale. And they have a definition for it, of course. Real ale is uh, made with traditional um, ingredients, traditional style beers that are put into a, a, a cask with yeast and it's and conditioned and carbonated in the cask and it's served from the container that it was put into. That's kind of their definition. We kind of expanded that a little bit and said, well, it doesn't have to be traditional ingredients. It doesn't have to be an ale. It could be a lager. We could, you could throw in coconut. You can throw in different things like that. So we moved the, the bar a little higher in terms of what we decided to accept for it. Great. And in, in the planning of this, um, what are some of the challenges? I mean, I know there was a pandemic and it wrecked a lot of on-premise and festivals, but this year alone, um, the, this festival was meant to be t two weeks ago. So w w why, did, why did we have to wait two weeks? W what are the special handlings of, of, of the cast condition ale that are important? Sure. So um, it's actually three weeks, if you want for, for fact. But uh, the reason we did that was because um, the, the real challenge for this is to get the beer from the UK. And um, it comes on a boat. And so we had to work with a new importer this year because the, um, the old importer we had, who we've basically gotten it since year one, I think, pretty much, uh, shipped over. They, they went out of business during the pandemic. They were importing for the whole Northeast, you know, a lot of European beer. And um, so we had a, found a new importer, and they were kind of learning the ropes with us. And um, we thought we actually had it all set up. And the beer was coming over in a boat, and it was on the boat, and it, we thought it was all set to get here in time. And then we found out a couple days later that the boat was stopping in Antwerp, Belgium, for a week. So they didn't tell us that when the beer went on the boat. So that's why we were, we were actually going to get it like the day after the festival ended if, if uh, we kept the original date. So... So luckily, the hall we're at uh, in you know South Boston had a uh, uh, the, the time we needed to do it you know three weeks later. So that's why we did that. So it worked out okay. And big shout out to the South Boston Lithuanian Citizens Association, which through meeting friends of Nirax, we also host our Bolazol Mezcal Festival and also our Cider Feast Boston. So big big cheers to to those guys in Kent. Thank you. Um, so like also so when this beer comes in. I mean, I know having run a beer bar, even just getting in industrial, call them industrial craft beer casks, you got to let them sit a little bit. So from the time the, 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 the beers come and they're unloaded until the time that they're delivered to this venue, how, how, what, what's the process? Do they have to settle? Do you have to inoculate them? Like, I don't know what, what you guys do on your end. So the, the, I think when you say inoculate, you mean condition, really. So the, the brewers actually uh, add the sugar to con various forms of sugar, whatever they want to use to condition the beer, and then they seal them up. So they're already ready to go. We can open them and, and, and add findings to if they want us to. We ask them and they tell us. We can add findings to clarify the beer if that's what they so want. Um, but once we get the beer and it's, it's in that state, uh, we get them in here uh, in the hall. We rent the hall from Sunday to Sunday, even though the festival doesn't start until Wednesday. So we have basically set up on Sunday and then have two, three days to get the beers up where they need to be and then let them sit and, you know, so they're nice and rested and ready to go. And then, they, you know, we test them all, find out which ones. We'll put a bunch up and ready, but then we try them all to see which ones are ready to go, you know, for each session. 
Uh, so we we kind of that's kind of one of the fun things, I guess, is that the, the tasting all of them to see which ones are ready to go. So, but uh, so the the enthusiasm for for cask condition ales, Jan. I mean, what what got you turned on to this? Besides that, it's a great volunteer organization. Before we get into that, I, I gotta say, Gary mentioned the beer comes on a boat. In the old days, when we were a little bit less organized than we are now, sometimes we were a little late ordering the beer. And when that happened, we had to fly it on a cargo plane, which means it's very expensive beer. And I can remember two or three times where we did that. And we'd be sitting there in a meeting and saying, oh, my God, we're going to fly it again. <laughs> I, and, and, but, it, you know, whatever it took to get here in time for the festival. So it's, tell me more about this organization, because this isn't just a, a little one weekend festival. You guys, when do you start planning? And, and, and tell me about this organization, CASC. Okay, CASC is a, a nonprofit organization uh, that we set up probably about 2009 or something. I forget the exact year. And we did that too because we were kind of um, outgrowing having several people uh, financing it from their own bank accounts and everything and wanted to become a little bit more legitimate and, uh, with the times and everything. So we set that up. Uh, and, and that's CAST, the CAST Conditioned Ale Support Campaign. Uh, and after that, uh, that's the organization that sets it up. And we've done a lot of planning because over the years, a lot of things have changed. Um, planning, so we have to buy a lot of equipment. Um, the equipment that we use, the hand pumps are expensive. We don't have the brewers come in with their beer and set up a jockey box, which is a little portable thing to serve the beer out of. We uh, own all of the, the equipment, and so we put it up on stillage, which is scaffolding. We own the casks, the empty firkins and uh, pins that are used to house the beer, uh, the hand pumps, the bars, which we've made in-house. Uh, we have chilling units and saddles and all this equipment is very expensive so we've spent time over the years as we've grown able to buy all of this equipment and set up then we have to start planning for the uh the, the thing we have to go out and solicit brewers to see that they'll make cask beer uh, we've got to get in touch with our people in the uk and the importers to get beer over uh, we've got to organize food. We've got to organize, get the, get a hall. So there's just a lot of moving parts to set this up. The volunteers, they're the most important part of the entire festival is the volunteers. If you didn't have people working and helping and pushing this thing, it doesn't matter whether you have the you know, uh, just the beer or whatever. It's, it's important, obviously, but if the volunteers aren't there, you're not going to have the beer. You're not going to set it up. You're not going to let it age. You're not going to serve it. You're not going to check people in at the doors, sell tickets, all that stuff. So then we do a lot of planning um, over, we probably start four or five months ahead of the festival and then do a lot of planning. So where do you have your meetings and what do you drink at the meetings? Uh, <laughs> um, usually we have the first one at my house just to kind of kick it off probably a little bit before Christmas time. Um, after that, we either someone's house or we'll find a, a place that, that will let us go there and hang out and have a little, uh, you know, meeting, usually two or three hours every couple of weeks. 
Um, if we go, it depends where we go. We do like to go someplace that has cask on, obviously, if we can. So we try to find pubs or bars that do that. Um, sometimes we'll do it at a brewery, and someone will put something on just for us because we're going there. So if we tell them ahead of time, um, sometimes Mark will. Uh, Mark works at Aeronauts, so sometimes we'll do one there, and he'll take care of us. So, <laughs> so you know, about about six or five or six meetings, I'd say we do, and then a lot, just a lot of, like, you know, 1997 when it started, I wasn't there, but I'm sure it was a lot more, uh, you know, just phone calls and things. Now you have email and text; it's so much easier to communicate, and you can do things, you know, more real time like that. So it's nice. Yeah. You know, yeah, the, the, the whole process of what we do as an organization is pretty complicated, but I'd, I'd like to bring us back to the basics just for a second about what this is all about, cask ale. When you, when you take yeast, most people know that yeast makes beer. But what really is going on, and you got these little organisms, if you treat them right and give them some sugar, they produce two different things. Their liquid effluent is something we call alcohol, and uh, they also uh, pass gas that we call CO2, which carbonates the beer. And the whole concept here with cask ale is that's all we want, is what the yeast are doing. It, it's, this is not complicated. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, all of these complicated steps are preserving that natural cask ale and bringing it to the public. Wow, this is really cool. <laughs> well, definitely, like I'll say this, coming in for the first time, I don't know that many people in the beer industry in Boston, but I saw Chris Loring from Notch, Max Tosti, former Deep Alum, new Deep Alum, uh, Todd Mott from Tributary, um, and Paul Saylor from, from Flatbread. Um, why don't you tell us about some of the, the breweries of note that are here? I know that... Um, I remember having Coniston or Ridgeway from England way, years back when occasionally I'd get a, a, a cask in New York City. Um, this, let's just go around the room, a couple of your favorites, because there was one called Thunderbird that Ethan, of, uh, formerly of Deep Ellum, just kept saying, it's my favorite, but don't tell anyone. Oh, uh, yeah. I definitely like coming for the, the UK beers, because they've had, well, like... Um, Pete said at, at our industry trade session, the, the UK has been doing this for, you know, 10, 20 years, 50 years, even several hundred years, and they fine-tuned fine beers on cask. So I definitely tend towards the, the UK beers and some of the brewers. Uh, I remember early on we had Young's Beer, and they're out of business over in the UK now. Fuller's, those were like some of the, the beers that we got early on. And then as time went on, there's a, a number of other ones from the UK have come through. Uh, Fine Ales, they do one of my favorite beers is Jarl, which is uh, the first brewery in the UK to use citra hops. So it's interesting, the brewing um, traditions in the US, the, the UK brewers have picked up some of our tricks or the things that we've been doing and taken that and run with it like hops. And we on the American side have taken their different yeasts and malts and things like that and brought that in. So it's a really nice kind of mix-up of the, the two cultures. Yeah, you know, and, and historically, when you mentioned Todd Mott. Um, the very first Nirax had three beers, total of three, and in, in the basement of, of Red Bones. 
And one of those beers was Todd Mott's. So he was there at the beginning. So historically, it was great to have him here today. And then is, is, do you request certain beers or, or do you, you, you give the, the breweries the option of sending? Because I know Todd Mott's tributary had a California Common and that's what he drank next to me. And he says, I'm drinking the California Common. So I'm, I'm drinking California Common. Well, I think so. For U.S. breweries, uh, we have um, one person who runs the kind of show for you getting the U.S. beer procurement. And I'd say six or uh, five or six other people as well as he that um, we just take different geographical areas in New England. So, you know, Jan does Maine. Uh, Mark and I do Vermont. I do Central Mass. Other people do like Western Mass, Connecticut, or, you know, whatever, New Hampshire, all that. So we, we each take an area and the person who runs it says, you get five, you get six, you get four, whatever. And it just kind of adds up to the total. For UK beer, we have, uh, through our connections from GBBF and other things, we have brewers or camera people over there. Just t tell us what GBBF is. Oh, sorry, Great British Beer Festival. That's like the, I think, someone mentioned, that's like the biggest beer festival, pretty much biggest Cascale festival in the world for sure. It's like a week long in London in summertime. Um, so we'll, we have acquaintances from there, so we might know a brewer who's in Wales, we know one from Scotland or... Uh, you know, different areas in England, and we'll, they'll just get the beer, and they'll, you know, one, one guy got 10 from Scotland and 10 from Wales and whatever, and they, so they do the same thing over there, and they consolidate to ship it over. So you know all the beers when you drink. Do you end up with a favorite, or is part of this festival that you have too many favorites? Um, yeah, well, first of all, we get different beers every year. It's not like, not like you know you're going to get the same beer every year. Um, but I find the favorite beer I have usually, it, the, I think one thing about cask ale for people that don't know about it is you can, uh, I'll do a, pre a preface here, is that you could be at a, at a bar and get a cask ale and it may taste terrible because they might have had it sitting there for two weeks. Uh, it, it's really supposed to be drank in two or three days unless it's being uh, protected from the oxygen, you know, a little bit, and then it might last a couple weeks. Um, but every day that beer is going to change how it tastes because the oxygen may well, affect it in some ways. Typically, the first couple of days it gets better. And so, you know, if it's too long, it can get worse. So to say I have a favorite, it depends on the day because my favorite beer today may not be as good tomorrow and another beer got better. So that's what I love about it is that I don't have to have a favorite until I've had it. And then I have the next, I have six beers later, you know, Small samples, not big ones. Six years later, I might find something even better. Or I have something I had yesterday that today is even better. So that, to me, is the fun of it. Is, is, you don't say, oh, I had, this, I had that yesterday. You say, oh, I wonder what it tastes like today. Ethan from Deep Ellen said that he'd come here on Wednesday. He was still drinking the Thunderbird, and he told me what it was like every day. I, I wish he was here. So for, for um, you know, for, for bars and, and in tasting rooms, let, let's give them some advice because, like I said, I, I remember the time when there were a lot of bars and restaurants trying to do cask. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Um, right now we're back. We're back on premise. I know that what's exciting, uh, Max Tosti reopened Deep Ellen. Um, in another town, I think Waltham, and um, they're they're featuring like one one cask a week. What advice do you guys have for 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 
on-premise, you know, bar and restaurant owners, they really want to get get into the cask program because I, I know right now, like in New, Hudson Valley, there's Duchess Ales. They've been doing cask condition for a while, and my buddy Good Word Brewing down in Georgia, he he's going to have something, you know, some kind of hand pump. Um, it's out there, but you know, bars and restaurants to me are still the core of of my on-premise experience. Yeah, that's definitely true, and. The issue with cask beer is it's, it's not plug and play like keg beer. You just put it in the refrigerator, you, you, you stick your uh, connect, connector to it, coupler, and then you just start pumping it and pushing it out with CO2. So there's cellaring. So part of the, the beer um, brewing process is the cellaring, knowing when it's ready, like Gary says, and then serving it and knowing when to pull it off if the beer goes bad. So you can't. So it's got to be cooled. It's not uh, uh, low refrigerator temperature. It's cellar temperature, which is like 50 degrees, 55 degrees Fahrenheit. And once you breach it, you vent it, you open it up to the atmosphere. As Gary says, the beers will improve for a couple days generally, and then it starts going downhill. So some of these people throw the cask on. on you got to let it settle. So the worst possible thing to do for cask beer, take the cask out of the, the refrigerator, you throw it on a table, so you, and you immediately vent it, and then um, put a tap in it so you can serve it. The, the beer's unsettled, it's probably squirting out of the, the top and making a spray, and then the beer that comes out, it may be cloudy because it still has yeast in it because it hasn't been allowed to settle after it's been been vented, and then they pour it, so it's going to be kind of crappy to start with. Maybe, you know, in a few hours or so, it gets good and it's kind of nice, but then after that, it starts going downhill because now it's warming up. They, they don't have it in a refrigerator, so you really need to keep it cool, cellar temperature, and you need to let it settle and do all of this stuff and, and serve it properly. So there's a lot of complexity. It's not hard to do, but someone has to do this each time. And if the beer goes bad and somebody tastes it for the first time, says, I don't like cast. It was warm, flat, cloudy, and it just tasted bad, but probably did. So, but getting a really good cask is, is amazing. So they really need to know how to take care of it. Um, if they want to do that, they need to contact people who do it. Um, we do. Our organization will help people um, figure out how to put cast equipment in, the proper way of serving it. They have to train their people who serve it. And then when those people leave, which they invariably do, they have to train the next person that comes in and not just say, hey, just start serving this beer. You know, one thing about this experience is that you got guys like Chris Loring from Notch, who was practically, to me, the pioneer of the Czech-style side pour. And now I'm seeing so, so many places when they open, whether it's breweries or special bars, are, 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 are getting that same side pour. I love that he was here today with, with one of his, I don't know, what, what do you call that type of cast that, that, that Chris had from Notch? Stitch fast. And then in English? That's 
<laughs> German. He said in English. And in English, it's stitch fast. In German, it's like stick. Something. Stick, yes. Yeah, so he had a, one of the, the, the small, like, you know, something, a little cast, like a Franconian cast that you put on the bar. And he had filled it with 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 some kind of what was it, Keller beer? It's like it's like it was a little, I'd say just so everyone knows, probably about five and a half gallons, I would say, give or take. It's it's converted to English, you know, ounces and all that, but it's about five and a half gallons. So so how does I remember that from when I got frustrated with it, I couldn't always get an English cast from my bar, nor afford it, because they, they do get expensive when they're imported. But the Franconi option, which is like kind of a, a filled up cast that you put on top of your bar how do they differ as far as well the difference is it's, it's this cast conditioning is is quite a, an, a craft but I've seen guys in Franconia just literally put hoses and fill the beer and then ship them over you have to remember that cask ale is actually living in the container it, it's, it's alive the yeast are alive and the reason that it changes over a few days is the yeast are still doing their thing. So that, and that's one of the reasons you have to take good care of it because if you get outside the envelope that the yeast like, they die. And that's not good. So, I mean, we've got a different product. The, uh, the Keller beer is actually stabilized, filtered, etc. So that's, that's beer that's ready to serve, and, and it's not going to change a whole lot. So that's the big difference in my mind between the two. Yeah, maybe just to add a little bit to that, I mean, um, what Jan says is true, but think of the stick foss as uh, like a pitcher of beer. You pour a pitcher of beer and you bring it out, but now it's in a container and you kind of close it up and you put it on, on the table. As soon as you pop that open, you're, some of the carbonation is disappearing. So when you serve it over a couple of hours, it starts to warm up a little bit because generally these aren't refrigerated or kept cool. And then uh, air does get in, so you start losing some of the carbonation. So it does change a little bit and the carbonation is a little bit lower. So it's actually more like a draft CO2 pushed beer than it is a cask beer that's great so let's talk about your organization because this is seems to be the most loved and most interesting beer gathering i'm not gonna say festival because festival has i don't like the word festival but gathering in america and it's not run by breweries it's not a brewer's guild it's it's something totally different so let's talk about your feelings about this organization and, and I want to say the word reverence because I, I have reverence for, for beer. Um, why there's so much reverence for this tradition of, of Nerax and seeing it from my industry friends like Max Toste and seeing the brewers like literally seeing, you know, Todd tell me to try his California Common or, or Chris Lawrence so proud to bring his little stink tish of his Keller beer. I mean, this, this is kind of the, the ultimate beer day for me. Oh, geez. I, I think we're all volunteers. We don't get paid to do this, so we do it for the love of the beer. And when you have a really good cask beer, at least in my case, it's, it's, it's revelatory. 
it's just wonderful if, to have this if, at, at its peak. And especially even with craft beer in the U.S. back in the you know, early 2000s, th there just wasn't this depth of flavor, complexity, and just, just beautifulness in these beers that were cask. And it's like, wow, that the temperature helps, the um, carbonation being lower, it just brings out much more flavor and aromatics. And then with the yeast and what the brewers have done, when the beer is just right on, it's like I said, it's just great. And then you get this, like you say, this almost reverence for the thing. And then, you know, light goes off. It says, wow, this is great. And then you say, okay, now where can I find this? And you go to the, the nearest pub and they don't have one or a bar. And, and if they do have one, they may not be treating it right. So having this, the festival where all these beers come in and people from the UK came over and took care of it early on, helped us take care of it in the fest. It's just be saying, hey, we got to keep this going. You got to spread the gospel to everybody else. And guys, I hate to rock the boat, but I'm done with cans. <laughs> I never drank that many cans to begin with in the pandemic. Everyone put in cans. I'm, I'm going to on-premise always, like the old days. Guys, anything else about... Um, you want to say about the reverence for this organization? When you talk to the guys that started Nerex, and I remember asking them when they were around, uh, why did you do this? And they said, you know, we had this stuff in England, and this, this is the only way we could figure out how to get it here in Boston. <laughs> so they had to start an organization. <laughs> I love that. And Gary, the mechanics here. So what, what do you, you know, there's, there's a lot of many pieces that go into a festival. You're texting someone now. We're getting ready for the nighttime session. What, what, what are you thinking about? What, what do you have to do in the next 20 minutes? I have to breathe. And then uh, I'm drinking water right now. So, <laughs> no, festival-wise, um, you know, we, we, we get the hall, right? The, the seller team is making, seeing what beers are, you know, going to be on and checking the, make sure that there's enough beer on for the night. And, you know, planning out the rest of the, you know, we kind of plan every day as we go for that. Um, we have to, you know, wash the glassware and make sure it's ready for the next day. If you, you can take your home class home, but some people return them. And so we have to wash those and have those ready for the next session. Um, uh, we have to, uh, we have a bunch of volunteers come in for every session. And we love, like Mark said, we love to get our volunteers. They're great. And um, so we have to assign them to different areas. We have bartenders, we have stewards that stand around and just to help people if they need help watch things. And people at the door, Jan runs the door and we have people at the door to help him. Properties table where we sell shirts and glassware and such. So we have volunteers that come in, we have to get them to their areas and give the little, the people who run the areas have to do little speeches for them before we start so they know what to do. Um, and then we just, honestly, after that, you just kind of Deal with everything as it goes. You know, it's just it's the way it is. That's great because he was just tight. I wanted to add one point about the um, the, the, the the cast, the, the NERAX thing, and everything. Um, for me, I, I just love the fact that like we're pretty much agnostic as far as breweries go. We don't play favorites. You know, we don't say this guy's the best and that guy's no good. You know, we we give everybody a chance to be on, and and, and we love to have. Uh, you know, all these brewers that, you know, they want to do this sometimes, they're only doing this once a year, you know, to make a beer like this, so it's special to them too. 
and for them to have it there is a special thing for them. So to, to me, it's just the joy in their faces that people come in. You know, we haven't had a festival since 2019 because of COVID. And so many, we've had it two nights so far, and so many people come in and just want to give me a big hug and say, oh, I miss this so much. We, we're so happy it's back. And it, it actually kind of brings back a sense of normalcy, like, you know, COVID's over, NEMAX is back. It's just, I'm sure there's other things in the world like that too, but that's one of the things that people can say, hey, you know, we're finally over this thing. NERAX is back and we're back to normal again. It just, it just makes us really happy. Wow, that's amazing. Hey, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I am at NERAX, the amazing New England Cast Condition Festival in Boston. My first time here ever talking with some of the organizers. And um, there's reverence here, guys, because it's back. Cascale's back. On-premise is back. We're having a good time. So let's talk about the beers that you can't get, because <laughs> you've got some good stuff here. I heard Paul Saylor, who's from something flatbread, was talking about Timothy Taylor. And I remember like 12 or 13 years ago, maybe more than that, with my buddy Ray Dieter at DBA, we got a secret stash of Shelton Brothers Timothy Taylor landlord bottles. And I can still remember just how good it was and that, that, that bready flavor. Why can't you get Timothy Taylor cast? And do you guys actually send your 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 cast things back to England? So what we do is we actually uh, the Great British Beer Festival that we mentioned before. They have a U.S. bar there, a U.S. cast bar. So we actually uh, have reps in about what six or eight regions in the country, and we send our firkins out to them, and they fill them up. And then we consolidate them here and send them to England for the Great British Beer Festival. So that's how they get our firkins to be able to fill up that to send back to us. So that that's it's pretty it's pretty much you know they get them we get them they you know every year it just goes back and forth. And then who set that up? I mean, this is an amazing. This is a lot deeper than just some of the. I've, I've not to knock anyone, but I've I've sat in on some some cast fest that that were trying to, to be like this or be inspired by it. And it's the only way I actually know what Nerex was was New York City twelve thirteen years ago. People talking about it. Uh, originally, that was set up with George Gendron and um, Jonathan Tuttle. Uh, and at that point, we were getting casks over from the UK brewers. It was their casks, and we had to get it back to them. So they said, "Well, why don't you send back a U.S. beer, cask beer? We'll serve it at GBBF, 
And then, you know, we get back to the, the brewer. And at some point, they still had a little issue because their cast did, were over here in the U.S. a little bit too long. And then we said, okay, why don't we just buy our own cask and then we'll send them out to breweries to, to fill them, whether it comes directly to us and then some of them would, would get fit, refilled and then go over to the UK. So as we were able to grow and um, our coffers filled up a little bit, that's what we did. We bought the cask and we have our own, have about 100 or so casks that we use back and forth. That, that, that's, that was really the breakthrough for us because many of the British brewers, they're interested in, in selling us the beer and so on, but they're saying, am I ever going to see my cooperage back? And so we own the cooperage. So that, that issue went away. And, and yeah, the big benefit is these things go back and forth full, both directions. And that's kind of cool. Yeah, I think that's it. I, I'm good with that answer. You're busy. You're thinking about the next session. So we're going to wrap it up soon. There are a couple other questions like camera and stuff. So when this this is April, whatever, 21st, but it's going to air in May. We're also going to do a second cask episode coming up probably next week. It'll be with the, the guys trying to run Cast Mark uh, here in, in uh, the States and um, their reboot of that and just to see how important that is. But, you know, not too long ago, it was it was bars and on-premise that were, that were really doing the 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 cascale thing and, and a lot of the new small breweries now are, are embracing it the same way i said chris loring at notch is doing the side pour influencing a lot of people i i, I think that 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 brewery tap rooms are going to be the, the the first place where people get exposed to cask do you guys agree with me oh absolutely there is no um cask in a can that you can take home and get the experience so it's got to be at a pub and it's almost certainly going to be a beer bar most almost certainly you're not going to see it in the restaurants to start with so you need someone who's really like mac toasty um who really loves beer has a beer bar takes care of it people like that that really have these beer bars they're the ones that say hey i love cask i've been to the uk I, we've got to get cask beer here, whether it's coming from the UK, if I can get it, or it's made in the US by US brewers. I'm going to get that and I'm going to serve it right and it's going to be another another line I can pour beer out of. Gary, when I walked in, I met you and you, you got me a beer. It was we something. What, what was that beer? You said, do you want a bitter? I said, yes. If Gary says bitter, I'm getting a bitter. He's look, Mark's looking up the program. I can't remember, this, yeah, what was that called? It's we. And then uh, Thunderbird. So Ethan from Deep Ellum was talking about Thunderbird. Where, where is that from? Again, look at the, so the problem is, the problem is about 105 beers, I think. So I don't, I haven't memorized them all yet. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's just, it's just, I say the word cube, just the, the fact that, that someone has tasted a beer on Wednesday, came back Thursday to taste it and is tasting it again. And, uh, if, if you feel that way, then this, this is the festival for you. You know, I want to comment on this, the growing sophistication of our clientele. When we started out, we would have Fullers and Youngs, because that's what we could get. But that's what American tourists had had when they went through London. And so everybody wanted that. Today, I mean, you've seen our beer list downstairs. I mean, there's stuff nobody's ever heard of. And our clientele now wants to see what's new in England that we haven't seen. 
So, I mean, it's a whole different world. This is, this is really cool. I mean, our, our colleagues in the UK are coming up with beers that we've never heard of, and they're, they're wonderful. So that's the fun of it for us. All right, Mark's looking at There's a great program. So what, what were some of the beers we wanted to feature? Uh, so the Weebrow you mentioned, that was from Cross Borders. Um, and then where is that from? I just know the UK. It doesn't say in here exactly. <laughs> UK is enough. That's fine. Yeah. I don't know if it was from Vermont or somewhere else. Uh, you're from the UK. Just got to figure out what region in the UK. Because like Gary said, we have like five, I think, or so different regions in the UK that we, we get beer from. We get from See, Scotland. New England Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, same place, right? Same border. <laughs> <laughs> so it's cross yeah, Here it is. We brought uh Oh, right. Oh. It's from Cross Borders, and you know what? It, uh, most of these actually have the location, and that one doesn't. Look at this Cross Borders, you know? Who knows? Not an error in the program. There you go. Okay. Sounds like contraband to me. <laughs> no. No, it just, it, every, most of them say, like, here's Coal Black Label, Bridge End, Wales, and Brew York, and York, England, but this one does, Cross Borders doesn't say where it is. We, we screwed up. <laughs> and what, what about the Thunderbirds? Okay, that's from that's Clamorgan Brewery, and that's in uh, now I don't know if anyone know Welsh, but there's a lot of weird letters and stuff. But uh, I'm gonna launch a sign mid Glamorgan in Wales. How do you like that? So you, you get to travel through beer. If it's un, if it's unpronounceable, you know it's from Wales. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, is, and is there any like thumbs up or or gold medals awarded like for best of, or this is just more like you're enjoying and tasting? We've actually we've actually talked about doing something like that in the past, uh, but we decided we didn't want to because we don't really want to tell anybody what they should have and what should be the best beer because I think if you asked 100 different people you'd probably get 20 that would say one or 20 that would say another but you get 50 different answers so I'd hate to say what's the what's the best you know so because you're talking probably six or eight people judging it and then somebody's like well what about my beer my beer is good too you know and it's we don't want to deal with that we're trying to stay agnostic and not not get into that stuff that's really deep in our culture actually in the early days a lot of local brewers were involved in starting and being involved in NIRACs. And I mean, it was, it was gospel in the early days. We ain't having no stinking competition. <laughs> you know, these guys were just not interested. Just put in great beers and, and we'll enjoy them all. Uh, one more thing about that though. When we send American beer to GBBF, they do have a, a championship medals for different categories. And one of them is American beer. And everybody wants to win that one. So, because they want to be like the American beer at the British Beer Festival, that's the one they want. <laughs> we can't talk about that. Well, no, I'm just, I mean, we have, they did give medals, we, you know, but you can look them up. They're online. You can look up to one. <laughs> we had a beer from Rising Tide in Maine that won a medal in, in London. Not this year. Yeah, in the prior year. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. Well, the, everyone's talking. What I love about this group is that they're so respectful that I reached out and they really didn't want to have anyone come and record or video. And when I was here today, the, everyone there was enjoying the company and, and, and the beer. So for the next episode that's coming up, um, who wants to tell me about camera? Because this is like the new face of, of cast condition ale, and this is really the place to come and learn about it. And again, you've got to really be into beer. This is not for tourists. But 
camera going way back. You know, we've all read the Michael Jackson book, but for this next generation, maybe it didn't. Who wants to tell me about camera and the role that played in in England and cast condition nails? Well, Jan has been a member of camera. He's a lifetime member, but they don't give those um, memberships out anymore. You pay a fee for one time. So he's been a lifetime and he goes over there probably the most out of anybody here in the in our organization. So I think let Jan give a shot at that. Well, you know, the, the whole thing started modeling uh, the British beer festivals because, I mean, they just didn't exist here in the States. But, you know, over the years when we were doing something and nobody knew quite why we were doing it, the answer always was, well, that's what they do at camera. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that was the easy way out. <laughs> but, I mean, these guys, for many, many years, had figured out, how do you run a beer festival? So we took that as the model. And, and it's worked very, very well. Camera, camera's actually, I don't know um, how many. There's probably 30, 40, 50 chapters in, in England, Scotland, and Wales, right? I don't know how many. But every region in England, Scotland, and Wales has their own camera chapter. And um, they also all have their own festivals. So I'm pretty sure you can go to England, Scotland, or Wales every weekend of the year and find a camera festival somewhere. Just probably not holidays, but most every other you know, weekend. So they, you know, they have, I think, I don't know about now, I think the last I saw there was about 100 and something thousand people that belong to it, you know, the three countries. And um, I don't think there's a thousand people in this country that know what camera is, so, you know. <laughs> Uh, camera is actually, I don't know if it was the first, it might have been the first uh, considered consumer-oriented um, organization in the world. And at least as of maybe 10 years ago, they were the largest consumer-focused group in the entire world. So they are not like um, brewers, they're actually more on the punters, the, the customer's side of beer. They, they want to go to places and have the, the bars serve the proper pint. The brewers that are providing the beer to these pubs do it right. Uh, they're even incredibly interested in like these glasses, our pint glasses, which I'm holding up. And uh, they have lines on them like ours do, and they also have a line at the top. So they really focus on getting a full port. If you advertise a pint over in the UK, price per pint, you better get one pint, 20 U.S. ounces of um, beer in that thing. So they're really coming from a consumer standpoint. And it, but it's had rippling effects throughout the entire industry, both from the pubs, the bars, the restaurants, as well as the brewers, to keep this tradition going and give fair value, good value to the customer. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I will point out Cameron does publish a good beer guide to the UK. And you just cannot, if you're a beer person, you cannot go to the UK without having that guide because they identify the pubs in every town across the whole UK as presenting acceptable quality beer. Cascale. Yeah, I, I, um, I do not personally belong to Cameron because... Uh, I go, when I go to England, Scotland, and Wales, I, well, I've never been to Wales, but England, Scotland, I, I just talk to the guys I know and they tell me where to go. So, <laughs> but I have used the good You got the Gary guide to beer. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm happy with it. I, I, I find, though, that um, the best way to, to 
if, if, if any of you are going to Scotland, England, or Wales to drink cask beer, because keg beer actually is pretty big over there too. Um, and it's kind of a battle between, you know, one versus the other. And I don't think it's a, like a vicious battle. There's, you know, some people are keg people and some people are cask people. But, uh, and you know, it's never the twain shall meet, you know. But, but I think that uh, camera, if camera wasn't there, I think keg would have probably taken over by now. So I, I really do believe what they've done is, I mean, we would love someday to have, you know, 100, 300, 400,000 people in America drinking Cascale and saying that's in the, every, you can go down the street and get it. And we're obviously not there. But I also feel like in our own way, we're, at least we're better in the New England area. We have more than we would have had if we weren't here because there are some, enough people now that do, to, to do it that we do have some. So I think that we've done that, and I, in our small way, we're like mini, mini, mini camera, you know. So, but, but we've, you know, and so I think that's. I can't just imagine like how they feel over there. The people that set it up and it's become this big thing over there now. I mean, they must feel great about that, you know. And the last question: Does climate have anything to do with it? Because if you're talking about cellar temperature, I mean, Boston is different from, you know. Maryland or other parts of the country where, where it can be warmer. Do you think that being in Boston is, is to your advantage for cellar temperature? You know, and I don't want, I don't want to get into the, the, the little details about is it flat and all that. We, if you've had it, you know it. But just talk about temperature in the cellar in this region. Is, is, could this only happen in Boston? Like, would this be happening in L.A.? Yeah, less so because I think it's not so the, the weather for – the temperature of the beer, but people drinking the beer. I think when you get the warmer weather, the so-called lawnmower beer, I think everybody knows that's like a, um, one of the macro lagers. You're tipping it, it's cold. And almost all U.S. beer canned, bottled for, you know, 100 years or so has been cold because it's refreshing. And I think you see that more like and hotter places drinking these lighter alcohol beers that are stone cold because they're refreshing at that point after you've been out mowing the lawn. Um, I think in the colder climates, you, you, you might get into like a little bit more malty beers and such like that. Um, is it easier to keep? Well, once refrigeration came in, that's kind of when lager really took over. They brewed lager all the time, and that's a cold beer, cold condition, served cold, brewed cold, all of that stuff. Uh, so I don't know in New England whether it may be more because of the weather and the way people want to drink. So there's a little bit more tendency for that. You guys might be more sophisticated here. Okay, last thing, we're really going to wrap it up because you guys got to go do that next session. What's your day job? Say your name one more time and we're out of here. Okay, I'm Mark Bowers, and I'm actually the brewmaster at Aeronaut Brewing. I, I was at the original one in Somerville. I'm still there. I'm still brewing beer. I do recipe development and other R&D type things. I'm Jan Williams. I'm retired, uh, retired business consultant. Uh, Gary Chaporian, I'm a retired IT professional. All right, so this is, again, one big shout-out to this NIRAX, the cast condition, the CCAST. Um, you, if you love beer, you you know that this is the right thing. And, you know, maybe some of you will, will think about doing something like this in, in other parts of the country. Um, really enjoy coming here. The word reverence and, 
and good beer. Again, I remember having those few casts at my old place, Jimmy's 43, there was like a Coniston or a Ridgeway that had been imported properly and the conditioning was right on. Then you knew what, what we're talking about. It's not just, you know, putting your Imperial IPA in, in a keg and we've had some bad ones too. We, I remember there, when the cast craze got a little out of control in the early days of craft beer, there'd be a brewery coming in saying, we want you to put the Imperial IPA on draft next with the cask of Imperial IPA. And um, people didn't drink either one. So, you know, the styles of beer, we talk about styles, a lot to talk about, and you guys know it. If you're listening this far, you, you, you love beer. But the styles of beer alone, I had a Keller beer. I had just some very lightly hopped, you know, different types of ales. I'm really enjoying myself. And um, I'm going to go back downstairs with these guys. I got tickets. I actually bought tickets for the, the evening session on Friday. I'm going to try to beat the weekend rush, have a few more of these and uh, enjoy yourself. So thanks. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host on Beer Sessions Radio. Thanks to Armin Spengen, our engineer, who's going to clean this up. This will be airing in May 2023. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.